This is Publishing Talks, a podcast about books and the publishing industry. I'm David Wilk, your host. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Josh Schwartz. He's the founder and operator of PubVendo, what I guess would summarize as an online book marketing business. Uh, it's more complicated than that makes it sound, but that's the essential category you fall into. How are you, Josh? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fun to have you here. I have tried to talk to a variety of people about the publishing industry over the years, a lot about technology. Uh, then for a while, I stopped talking about technology and started trying to do a little history work by talking to people about the, the past, you know, the, the, the last 50 years or so, particularly independent publishing, which is an area that I'm most interested in, been most involved in. But I have not lost my interest in technology. And while there have not been as many new inventions in publishing in the last few years as there were in a, during a period of time, um, I think that marketing has continued to be the place where innovation and change has taken place. So, you know, it makes sense to talk to you because you've been involved before you were doing online marketing, you were involved in that technology that we were just alluding to. You worked in eBooks and that's kind of how we met indirectly, but maybe you should talk a little bit about what PubVendo does in a, you know, in a, in a summarized form. Cause I yeah. think a lot of what you do is almost magic. A lot of people that you talk to about it don't really understand it. So you need to explain it in a way that makes sense to people. Um, and then we can go on from there. How's that? Sure. Yeah. So, and actually, I, I think you could, in certain ways, simplify what we do by describing us as a digital marketing agency that happens to work only in book publishing. And I guess by way of a explanation here, uh, you're right. I mean, I started my career in publishing at what I call the ebook boom. I'm not sure if anybody else calls it that, but that was this kind of massive innovation in publishing. Uh, not only the birth of ebooks, but it kind of was connected, I think, to an explosion of indie publishing. So that's where I got started in the industry. And then I remember it was, I, so I started Pubendo about six years ago. And it was about a year before that I had been out and about talking to as many marketing directors, VPs, and CMOs who I could meet with. And it ended up being about two dozen conversations. All the big five guys whose names everybody knows, lots of mid-major indies, some big education publishers. Um, and I was asking them all the same question, which is, what's your biggest challenge and how could I potentially solve it for you? And it was really interesting because across the board, they all said the exact same thing. They said, can you please help us help our authors promote themselves and their books on social media? And of course, you hear that enough times you start wondering, why is this such a big need You know that nobody seems to have solved? And I think the answer really was twofold, one being... Um, marketing departments themselves are just too small in any publishing house, no matter how large they are, to really work on all of the books on the list or even most of the books on that list. They tend to work on the top 10% or 15%, uh, and the rest of the books certainly can get some catalog treatment and that sort of a thing. But I think that's the origins of a lot of author complaints about, oh, my, my publisher didn't do anything. Well, they probably did, but not as much as the author was kind of hoping for. And then I think the second reason was there just wasn't really a transference of knowledge um, either to publishers and especially not to authors about how to market themselves on social media. So on the one hand, I got started in the industry with an innovation, that being eBooks. 
But when I started Pavendo, I didn't actually innovate anything. I just took a look at you know, what industries already do the best job going direct to consumer on social media to market and sell consumer good products. The answer, if you're wondering, that I found back in 2016 was the fashion industry. Mm. And I just adapted a tool stack and a methodology around books, which in the course in the United States revolves quite a bit around Amazon. And then we've learned a lot along the way. But in so many ways, what we are doing is what we would consider best in class, owned, earned, and paid digital marketing tactics. By owned media, we're talking about optimizing Amazon, Goodreads, websites, any uh, digital asset that is owned by a publisher or an author. For earned media, we're actually talking about things that many people would call publicity. You know, we're looking for things like book reviews or interviews, but we're going out to kind of niche online communities or a lot of social influencer outreach to a lot of work on BookTok and Bookstagram, trying to get book reviews or interviews or social shares just only with digital media sources. And I think what we've become known for is definitely the paid media side. And this is what a lot of people will call magic. It's not magic, obviously. It's, but we're talking about, you know, advertising on Facebook or Instagram or even TikTok. And these days, a lot of advertising on Amazon. And I think because those ad platforms themselves represent an evolution in how advertising works, that's where it often is the case that, you know, you kind of sometimes feel like it's a black box. Uh, we just figured out how to do it is kind of the way that I look at it. But yeah, that's what we're doing. We're doing a lot of campaigns for book launches, uh, a lot of Facebook ads, a lot of Amazon ads, a lot of measuring to see what's working. You know, when Amazon ads trying to get a certain return on ad spend for our clients, so it's a profitable project on social media, trying to get followers as well as awareness, as well as merchandising. Um, and it all kind of seems to work out pretty well uh, on the whole that we can usually advance outcomes in a meaningful way. So do you, that's a really good description, I think, <laughs> um, openings, you know, giving me some openings for questions. You know, one thing I think that, or at least I've thought about, I think a lot of authors understand this, but don't necessarily formulate it, publishers too, is that in other industries, you work with marketing that is accretive so that a brand can be built up over time. The problem for the book business, and I think this is true for other creative media like music, is that the author, in our case, is generally thought of as the brand. The book is a sort of production of the brand, but an author might produce one book every two, three, five years, maybe even yeah. once, once every 10 years. And so it's very difficult to market books without essentially marketing an author, the author as brand which creates confusion in the book side, also challenges on the marketing side, because you're always, each book is different. And if an author is the brand and they only have a couple of books in there, even if they are very prolific, maybe they have 10 books. You know, the brand is really hard to build if you only have one book every five years or something like that. And it also is it creates a sort of contradiction for the publisher and author side to think, well, wait a minute, I'm promoting the author as brand, but the book, what about the book? You know, and yeah. then each, each book has to be marketed on its own. And if now, then we're also understanding how many books are published. It's very difficult to spend money, time and attention on a book and see the benefits. So how do you respond when, clients ask you about that you know like what what is your answer yeah. because i'm not i don't know what the answer is 
Yeah, no, it's an, it's a really good point. And actually, one of my good friends in publishing, uh, Karen Chase, she just wrote a book called uh, Brand the Author, Not the Book. Kind of getting a lot of the, the same idea here that, you know, if going by even back to the fashion industry, if what we were marketing were jeans, you know, it's kind of a widget. It kind of, you know, right. uh, there's variances in that sort of thing, but there's a lot of commonality in the product. Whereas when you're marketing books, you know, there are as many books as there are authors and they're all their own unique brand and they're all very different from each other. So I think that the reason or one of the important reasons why um, as marketers, we do end up focusing on the author is that that is what differentiates that book from the next book is the author's voice, their view of the topic, if it's sort of a nonfiction book or their ability to construct a narrative. Um, this is what creates fans, particularly for novelists who are writing books in a series, uh, as an example. Um, and the book is definitely it's almost like the lead magnet to get them interested in the author, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. It's also the product, right? It's, you know, uh, people are familiar with how a transaction works on Amazon and you one click or two click in the book is at your house the next day. That's an easier transaction to get consumers heads around than follow this author and yeah. see what they say on social media. And yet they're both, they're both needed and both also complementary to each other. So um, it depends. Certainly there are some projects that we come across where, if I'm thinking of maybe of a business thought leadership book, the brand almost isn't, it's, it's the author, it's the thought leadership, but it's usually the business they're leading. And that business thought leadership book is a marketing piece for that business. Whereas with a novelist, the product is the book and the author is the voice behind right. the story. Um, so no, it's definitely a delicate balance. I don't think you can have one without the other. Um, and then in certain ways, it depends, right? So in, in December, we are curious a lot about our authors, but a lot more about our sales, right? We're doing a lot of Amazon advertising in December and that's all we're measuring is how many sales have we driven during the holiday sales period. So I guess it ebbs and flows and there's exactly one answer to it other than they're both important in very complementary ways. So do you think that this is another corollary to that? There are many authors who have pointed out either to each other or to their publishers that they like to write books and they want somebody else to do the marketing for them. And because, you know, writing and marketing are two different things. And a lot of writers are really, really not outer looking in that sense. I don't want to say extroverts because you don't have to be an extrovert to be a personality. But that contradiction is really profound for, now I'm not, it's probably more profound for fiction. Where, and especially literary and creative fiction or maybe yeah. creative nonfiction. I mean, there are some books which are built around the persona of the author and the author knows that. And so there's no hesitation with those books. But with the books where the author has spent years, you know, wrestling with this inner turmoil and creating something really complicated and public facing, which is what they want to use as their public face, not themselves. This issue, I think, is really profound in a world where marketing is what you, social media marketing is what, you know, kind of personality marketing is what drives the business. And publishers don't know how to answer that question for an author. And I'm not sure anybody does, but I assume that you get that from time to time from either authors yeah. or publishers. And what do you do? It's funny. I tried to solve that. So, so, um, in so many ways, I think that the way I, I would define this issue is that authors, um, on the whole, if I paint with a very broad stroke, tend not to be very self-promotional. They don't really know exactly what that is. And certainly, I think it's, I think you and I have talked about this, actually. I think they 
um, find a lot of room to tell their story in writing. So it's maybe harder for them to do that in person. It's kind of just one way of looking at it. We tried to solve this problem. You know, what we're known for today are our marketing campaigns. But I tried to make a product, um, you know, a few years ago that we called Author Lodge. And the whole idea was instead of doing a campaign for a book or for an author or for a publisher, we're going to teach that author how to be their own marketer. Literally teach them how to do what it is that we do. So we right. had this, we shot this video library sort of by topic, teaching them how to do earned media pitching for themselves, how to identify a contact, get contact information, how you write a five sentence pitch email, how do you kind of ferry that through to completion? How do you make social media content? How do you navigate Facebook ad manager? How should you think about audience? All of it. I mean, we, we, it's out there. You can go, you can go watch these videos right now and learn how to do what I do. It is a wildly unpopular product. <laughs> and I think, I think the reason is, is, uh, you know, what we found pretty quickly, we never lost an opportunity to work with a client uh, from this. What happened is we would tell people about this platform and then say, that's great, but I want a campaign. And I think what we discovered is uh, authors don't want, in most cases, to learn how to do it themselves or to do it themselves. And maybe it is that sort of fear or that uh, self, that aversion to self-promotion. Uh, they want somebody who knows how to do it to do it for them. Uh, so that's what we do. So it, the author lunch ended up being a very powerful way to drive more business for our campaigns because it was just the thing that showed people here's kind of how we know uh, what to do. You kind of see for yourself, this is what we do. Um, but I don't know, that was my attempt to solve it. And as it turned out, people just wanted to hire me to do more, more work for them instead of teaching them how to do it. So that's what we do. Well, but that makes sense. I mean, in a way that kind of makes sense from based, you know, my supposition or confirmation of my supposition that many authors don't want to be involved in marketing. It's not that they are averse to commerce or averse to socialization. It's just that they are not comfortable or knowledgeable and they don't want to learn. A, it's like trying to learn a new piece of software. Yeah. You know, it's just sometimes you'd rather have somebody do it for you. Well, and, if, and of course, a lot of authors, I mean, there is certainly a class of author who has kind of the luxury of being a full-time author. Most authors, that's not the case at all. They have a full-time job. They're a professor. They're a lawyer. They uh, run a business or whatever it may be. So in that regard as well, I think that it is difficult for them to even find the headspace to make the time to think about marketing. There's so many other things they have on their plate. And then on top of that, you have sort of, in many cases, this natural aversion to it, which just, you know, it just means that they need help. And so we hope that we can sort of be there to help them when they need that. So do you think that, I mean, I'm sure you grapple with this as well, because everybody in the book business has to deal with it. Um, and we don't really know the statistics, but we know there are more books published every year. Mm-hmm. And that, and I think the, the, the pie, the overall pie doesn't get bigger, but the number of slices gets bigger every day. Mm-hmm. So it makes it harder, you know, makes your job harder, makes it harder for publishers, makes it really frustrating for authors because they don't know what the competition is. They just know that it's massive. And we're talking about competition for eyeballs, attention, the dollar, you know, to make that buying decision. Very complicated because there are so many other books being published every minute. Not only that, there is, you know, people are able to watch any number of television shows, any number of streaming channels. Every sport in the world is available online now uh, to watch. YouTube has, I don't know how many billions of videos you know, that it's really hard and people spending more time online means potentially people spending less time reading. What do you hear from your clients about that? Or do they, you know, do they just say, I can't deal with it and they just go out and do their work? 
You know, I actually, I, I don't think that most authors that I interact with are actually aware of that. Um, like, I think I have the challenge of educating them about that sometimes because what I more often come across, um, and I'm not sure where this comes from, other than I suppose it's online somewhere. I'm always surprised because the information that would debunk this school of thought is widely publicly available. But what I typically come across is the idea that it must be very easy. Uh, and the idea that, you know, my, my book is going to be a bestseller, specifically a New York Times bestseller. I come across this quite a bit where I need to sort of help an author understand what is a realistic objective here. For example, if you are an indie author who doesn't have a brand, a platform, you know, no social media followers, no newsletter list, I think your first objective should probably be, how do I sell a thousand units to people who don't already know who I am? Right. You're going to sell a couple hundred units to your friends and family unless you don't have any. <laughs> but the, 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 the first mission should really be, how do I get a thousand strangers to check out my book? And then hopefully if some of them like it, they'll tell their friends. Uh, you get some reviews on Amazon about it. But, but I, you know, it's also it is very it's very competitive. That is for sure. And of course, margins are so small. I mean, sometimes when I'm doing Amazon ads, knowing that my client has a five dollar per unit margin that they can operate in. It, like, it really matters that I hit a yeah. 2.4 or a 3x yeah. return on ad spend. Because if I'm at a 2.3, they're losing money. So, I mean, it's tricky. It's also fun, kind of rewarding to uh, kind of lead the charge into a successful outcome. Uh, and yet, at the same time, there's plenty of uh, authors in particular who, you know, they sell a thousand units in their first couple of weeks, which is amazing, by the way, particularly for an indie author. Uh, and they're confused whether there's another zero on the end of that. So you kind of have to walk them through you know, realistically, how many books sell 10,000 units in their first week or first month or whatever. And then also kind of particularly if your book is nonfiction and sort of driven at something bigger, like a, again, a business out leadership book, or it's an academic book kind of connected to your career, something like that. It gives an opportunity to also lean into objectives that are not necessarily sales that are really driven by platform building in right. advancing your career or getting a contract with that client who read the book and realized you know AI really well for your AI company or whatever it might be. So yeah, I, I guess that's how I usually encounter that particular question. It's, it's actually from the other side. Right, and I think what you're getting at also is there's a variation by the kind of book that you have that would define success. And that one goal might be for a, a nonfiction author with a thought leadership book might not be as worried about unit sales, but be more in, interested in influence, reach. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, brand, branding, and then their message getting out there um, because they're going to do events and speeches. And the book is a calling card, but not necessarily their end service or product. Whereas for a novelist, pretty much yeah. readers, how many readers are going to read my book? And of course, I think this sort of gets to something that I've been thinking about a lot, which is that the number of books sold per title is declining across the board, because I see this when I do research for books that I work on, and you look and I don't even know what they call BookScan anymore, they've just changed the name, but you, you, know, you see that numbers that might have been 3,000 copies sold three or four years ago, they're 1,200 or 1,400 now, which to me, when you read that the number of books sold in a year is pretty similar to the number of books sold last year, the year before, the year before, that only confirms that fewer books per title are selling, but in the aggregate, the same number of books are sold. That kind of defines the circumstance. So when you define success, you know, you said, well, can you sell 10,000 books or can you sell 1,000? 
uh, you know, it may not be that number anymore. But what would you tell an author? And let's say we're talking about a novelist. Would you give them advice to do something before they publish the book, before they come to you, before they're in a position of they're trying to sell a book? Uh, what would you tell them? Yeah, we actually, this is a, a kind of project by itself here when I meet somebody who's kind of a year or two away from publishing and they want, either they want to know what to do, like you said, or they're trying to query agents and they want to know how can I kind of bolster my query letter. So the answer may not be that creative, but it is really about uh, followers and email subscribers, but it is, it is about the number, but it, what is much more important than the number is the quality. Uh, by which I mean, if you have 10,000 people on your email list uh, and you put that in your query letter, you know, that might get somebody's attention. But if those 10,000 people are very low quality, maybe it was a purchase list, maybe they haven't opted in, um, you know, the reason that it would get the attention of an agent or an editor is because there is an assumption that some meaningful percentage of that list or social media following is going to buy your book. If that doesn't happen, then it, it didn't really work out in your favor at all, actually. Uh, which isn't to say that people are doing that. It's more to think of, okay, if I'm thinking about how to build my platform so that when I publish my book a year from now, I can maximize my potential for success when I launch, it's I need to get people following me who um, are quality audience members who are really interested in my message or my book or my story world, whatever it might be. And even then, they're not actually all going to buy the book. But if 20% of them do, that's huge. If 10% of them do, that's huge. It's more like when you have a 10,000 and like three of them buy the book. It's like, okay, that probably wasn't a great list. But no, I think that's still the name of the game is maximize social media followers and maximize emails from people who are really actually interested. Before we run out of time, let me ask you a couple more questions about the future. Um, you and I have had conversations at various times about AI. Of course, right now, that's all anybody wants to talk about is AI. But I'm interested in what you've perceive as the future? Like, how is this going to, is there an evolution? Uh, is this just going to, I mean, I mean, I, no one can really predict the future, but like, how do you see it at this point where there, you know, if we're thinking of more and more competition for eyeballs, it's easier than ever to write a book conceivably. I, you know, whether people write books with AI or whether they write books with AI help, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the idea is there's going to be more out there uh, because I can see it already that people, you know, if you talk to a lot of people in business, they have ideas for books. Very often they have an idea for maybe a 30 or 40,000 word book. They don't have time to write it and they're really busy. Um, but with AI, I can imagine, I bet this business will occur that someone will create an AI driven editorial house that says, okay, you bring your book idea. We'll structure it for you because we know what a book should look like, but then we'll feed your outline into the chatbot and we'll produce the book. Now it's not going to be done. You're still going to want to smooth it out and fix it and make it your own. But instead of spending six months writing the book, you could probably do it in a week. Yeah. If that's true, if I'm right, uh, and it's that easy, then the output of books that are going to be out there taking up space, mind space and mind share and social media space and social media share is beyond comprehension. Yeah. And it, I think you're exactly right. I think uh, there's probably like a Philip Dick short story to be written about this when AI starts writing books on both the publishing side, as well as on the marketing side. 
my view is that AI is going to make, continue to make things cheaper and faster. And in certain ways, that is not great. The service is probably really great, right? So I think um, even the example you gave, if I'm writing a book myself, I don't really have time. Maybe it is that thought leadership book. I don't know that there is a much of a difference necessarily between getting your first draft written by a ghostwriter versus getting it written by AI. And you're still going to have to do the same thing. You're still going to have to review it and make sure that it's right. So, I mean, I, I, I'm always interested to see how these things go. That kind of fascinates me. The idea that, I mean, it's already happening that ChatGPT is writing books and, you know, I haven't read them yet. I don't know if they're any good. Um, and then on the marketing side, it's really interesting. I think a lot of marketers or advertisers get concerned about this because the reality is, is that AI can create as good marketing assets as humans can in certain cases. I think the big distinction is we're not really anywhere close to AI being able to create the next best Super Bowl ad, but AI can create some, you know, can replace mediocre copy or mediocre images or whatever pretty quickly. Or, and you alluded to this earlier, you know, one of the things you do is write pitch, right? Yeah. You, you pitch the book to a bunch of people on a list. And I, I, as a podcaster, I receive a lot of those pitches from marketers. I don't know. Maybe some of them have been written by AI. <laughs> no idea. But I would imagine it would be a lot easier to yeah. do that. And so you're going to flood the zone essentially with AI written marketing pitches because it's easier to do. And the, the, for that kind of outreach, you don't really need genius marketing. This is not like we're not writing advertising copy that's going to sell uh, the next hamburger, you know? Yeah. It's writing a letter that says, I have a product. Would you like to look at it? Here's what it's yeah. about. Would you consider writing a book review? I mean, you could write that email in your sleep probably, but AI can write it faster than that. <laughs> yeah. And I think so. It's so simple pitches for sure, but even more than that, I mean, we've actually done some testing with AI recently. Uh, ChatGPT generated text copy, ChatGPT generated everything just to see, like, what is it? And then we've done some A-B testing. How does it perform versus other things? And uh, I will say this, I don't think it's all the way there yet because when ChatGPT misses it, it misses it hilariously. Right. But when it gets it, it actually gets it right. Uh, we, we work with a um, problem agitate solution framework to write pitch copy as well. So what's the problem the book is trying to solve? How do you agitate that problem so it's top of mind to the person reading it and then create the solution, which by the way, is usually to buy this book. Uh, and I have to say, when ChatGPT gets it right, that is at least as effective as what I thought of myself as a human being. So I don't think it's all the way there yet, but thinking of the future, I don't think it's that far away. I mean, I would measure it like one to three years that, but there's a theory out there. For, I should remember the name of it. But there's a theory that some percentage, like 30 or 40% of the internet is written by AI. <laughs> like, I don't know, that could very well be true. I think that is the future though. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's great or how I feel about it, but I do think that's what's coming. Yeah, I suspect you're right. And I don't know whether we know what that means yet. I think there's yeah. clearly a lot of thinking going into this on all, on every level and multiple sides. And, you know, it is sort of like when the internet started, there was a lot of hope uh, and a lot of stuff that people thought would happen did. And a lot of stuff that people thought would happen did not. So we'll see. Yeah. But it's been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's a lot of fun to talk about this stuff. So thank you for taking the time to do it. Always a pleasure talking to you, David. This has been Publishing Talks, a podcast about books and the publishing industry. I'm David Wilk, your host. I've been talking to Josh Schwartz of PubBendo. Thank you again.